Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Mark Kenwright. He's the director at Wardell Armstrong International. They are a mining consultancy offering services to all sizes of mines all across the world. We talked to him today specifically about due diligence, the sorts of questions you should be asking, the sorts of answers you should be getting from companies. This might be useful for retail investors and family offices alike. We'll also make available a tick list on our website, so do look out for that. Enjoy the podcast. Mark, how are you doing, sir? Great, thank you, Matthew. Good to see you again. Yeah. Good to see you surviving. Look, look, I just, I, I got a comment, that magnificent beard that you've grown since we last spoke. It's, look at yes, that. Yes, indeed. I don't think it I makes can... me look more, more distinguished, I guess, eh? You, you definitely look more intelligent. I, I, I'll give you that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. The Russian okay. clients, Russian clients and Kazakhstan clients, they, they like to see a grey beard on an expat. They don't want to see these youngsters too much sometimes. So it's you know, impressive. What can I say? It's impressive. There you go. Thank you, thank you. I'm just jealous. What can I say? Right. Comes with age. Comes with age. Well, look, um, it's been a while since we, we spoke. So why don't you, just for people new to um, Wardell Armstrong, just give us that one minute overview of the company. Sure. Wardell Armstrong's part of the larger Wardell Armstrong group. Uh, the whole group, there's about five 500 odd employees spread over 13 offices in the UK. And they do things from archaeology, town planning, uh, environmental surveys, sports stadiums, you name it, they do it. And then within the Wardle Armstrong Group, there's Wardle Armstrong International. And we have an office in Kazakhstan, Almaty, and one in Russia in uh, Moscow. And our main office technical staff is down in Truro, although we've got a few people at our London office and our Leeds office and, and Stoke office. Wardle Armstrong International, which is what I'm part of, we are geologists, mining engineers, metallurgists, uh, geotechnical engineers, hydrologists, environmental, social people, all those people. So we do everything from desktop study to site visits, due diligences, feasibility studies, closure plans. So we do everything from grassroots exploration to mining to closure plans. The only thing we don't do is we, we don't build mines, but uh, everything else we do. And obviously we, we write mineral resource uh, estimate reports or reserve reports, everything. So that's the whole gambit. Beautiful. Thank you. So you're the you're the company, or one of the companies I would go to if I was looking for, or to better understand a company, a mine, a business that I was about to throw a lot of money at. And, you know, we we have sure. used you in the past, many many months ago. Um, soon, hopefully, and soon again, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I was just wanted to share because um, we say we say to. In, in, our followers who are investors in natural resources, you've got to do your homework. You've got to know what you're about to walk into. And as a large institutional player or family office, putting down a few, you know, a few tens of millions of, of quid, uh, pounds sterling into a project, you, you don't want to make any mistakes. So you don't want to find out after you've handed over the cash. So that's why companies like you would, would step in. So I think we're going to talk, um, as we did previously, um, about some of the things that you do um, but it's a little bit different since we spoke. We've got this COVID yes. thing came along, right? Amazing, and it's 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 changed the world. It's changed your face, yes. I think. It's look at yes, that. Yes, yes. It's changed. Well, it's changed people's working environments. You yeah, know, people can't travel at the moment. Exactly. Mines are struggling to either get people on site or get people off site. Um, countries close down, open up, close down again. I think Ghana recently 
was about to open up and then they did and then all of a sudden the cases have gone up so now they've closed down again uh, other places have different experiences so people seem to be at different stages unfortunately of, of the whole COVID-19 uh, experience shall we say so I want to talk uh, about it affects everything absolutely absolutely and I and I do I want to talk about all of the areas that it, it's impacted in the way perhaps we're all going to have to work slightly differently so let's start with your organization has it impacted on you I mean have you been working from home Yes, um, uh, we've all been working from home, I think, for a good three months now. Um, I think uh, we were following the uh, the government advice. I personally um, uh, started uh, self-isolating literally a day or two before the government said, okay, if you can work from home. But the rest of the companies uh, and some of the other offices also did that. But our office, just to the nature of the business, uh, very wide, open span, open plan sort of office, uh, we were comfortable doing that until the government said stop. So we stopped. So uh, so our, since then, everybody's working from home using Zoom and Microsoft Teams and GoToMeeting and all the rest of it worked very well. We have uh, as geology within our company, we have a weekly sort of geology meeting, the mining team, a weekly mining team, and sort of senior staff, we have a weekly VC meeting, and it all works fine. Um, so from a practical point of view, communicating internally is fine. And then talking to clients seems to work out. You do get the occasional hiccup where, you know, you send an invite for Zoom or Microsoft team and people can't get on for half an hour. Or you're waiting for one person out of six to join. Very frustrating. But eventually you get around it or you just move on without them and then they'll catch up. Um, but it's all fine, you know, sharing documents. I mean, you couldn't have done this 10 years ago, uh, but now, now obviously you can. It's a lot easier. Um, so from that practical point of view yeah we're managing okay so business as usual for you guys so let's get let's get on to the bit that i want to um, talk about which is how it's impacting some of the some of the companies okay so you know sure. m a activity has not dried up it's, it's still there we've seen a lot of deals certainly in the gold space um you, you know and and, and and a few other notable exceptions sure. where you, reports by companies like you still have to happen so you know, how have they engaged with you guys? I mean, how have you continued to do business with them, given that they're also probably sitting at home or, you know, the camp is, is shut down? You, you've largely got, I suppose, if I can be very sort of uh, broad-based, uh, you've got sort of your very junior sector who obviously are guarding their cash, who still want to come out with regular press releases, but in some cases can't do any field work or they're doing limited field work. And then obviously the other end of the spectrum, you've got operating mines. So if you look at the first sort of area, um, with a lot of those companies, we've been recommending them to sort of almost go back to basics and to do a lot more literature search and to really get in depth with their, um, their data and the geological knowledge and understanding. Now, one thing that hasn't stopped is typically is the ability to send samples and model Armstrong we're the only company with a with the only independent company with their own independent labs so we do bench and pilot scale testing so people are still sending um, samples to our lab now our lab because again you've got lots of people we've split our lab into I think two or three shifts to keep the numbers down and the sort of density of people so we managed to keep on but with all of that work we've actually got more work so our lab is basically flat out believe it or not which is quite amazing, simply because people are using this time to say, okay, let's do some basic testing or whatever, or some advanced testing. So they've sent samples through. Um, in terms of people like myself, we can still come out and write desktop reports. The only thing, obviously, we're not allowed to do at the moment is your 
site visits, but there are ways you can get around those things, which I'm sure we'll discuss. And then you've got your standard um, mineral resource uh, annual reports uh, or reserve reports where companies have to statutory release those. And you've got, you know, typically big departments, head office who are communicating and they can still send us data. So you can still still do those works. So it is it is it does vary client by client, but work work's been progressing and Wardell thank thankfully we've been actually quite busy. So um so we've got some big projects on the go um and some of our ongoing clients. So yeah things have carried on you know we have had to furlough occasionally a couple of staff uh, but that was just more a timing thing waiting for works to come in uh, so you know that's that's been utilized but a lot less than maybe people would have thought so how, how do you get around the site visit component because you've got to go look at this stuff with your own eyes haven't you you do i mean it's an interesting one we've had this discussion internally and obviously we're having it now um what if somebody say wants to do a due diligence or they uh we're gonna as you've said invest a load of money for an offtake agreement obviously typically that would involve a due diligence and you would want to have people on the ground looking at um the plant and the mine plan and making sure that the business can deliver the metal that that the person making the loan wants that obviously can't be done now but there are instances where you could do a competent person's report arguably uh, whereby if there's been no data that's changed or very little data that's changed within the um jork code 2020 that the table one which we did talk about last time there's a principle within the whole with the whole uh, with the whole Jorko 2020 of principle of if not why not so remember um the all these codes are guidelines so they're not laws or rules or they almost de facto become such because bankers and people like yourself you know you want that piece of paper with that stamp of approval on to that to that level so they become sort of de facto uh, rules uh, as it were but having said all that if i can say to an authority whether it's in London, Australia, or wherever. Look, we've done all the checks, everything's fine. The only thing we haven't done is been on site. And the reason for this is because of COVID-19. Now, obviously you would have to caveat that by saying there's a potential increased risk. You would have to uh, give a recommendation to say, you know, we would recommend having a, a site visit as soon as possible, but arguably, and it would be a bit of a test case, whoever was to do this first time, you could use those circumstances in this very, strange times we're in to say we as independent consultants given what we've said now uh, and again it would depend purely upon the data you know if you had rubbish data you wouldn't do it but if everything was wonderful and perfect and maybe you dealt with this client before and this was just a slight update or a depletion you could arguably potentially not have a site visit and still write the report um, so there are a number of a number of circumstances where um, you could do that um, you know if there was no new data as an example uh, I think you could get away with not having a site visit if if the study was an internal study for internal funding purposes. Um, I think you wouldn't necessarily have to have a study. Um, if um, w now there are circumstances where you probably wouldn't get away with it. You would have to have a site visit, which would mean the report would have to be delayed, and that's if it's a bankable or definitive feasibility study, as an example. Or maybe if uh, there's a change of a ownership of an asset, if one mine is buying another mine or, or whatever. So it, it's not, I don't think you could do it in every circumstance, but I think you can, still can do it. And there's a lot of work that can be done on a due diligence without a site visit, I think is, is also the key takeaway. Um, you know, 
you, you do get a bit of a smell test and you know, you know yourself, the mining industry is very small. So people know people. So if you know oh, that guy's a bit of a, you know, or whatever, I'm not going to trust what he says or she says, uh, I have to go and check it out. But if somebody has been in the business 30 years and they're well known and you can read the reports and the data and the checks you do all match up, you know, obviously you still want to do the site visit, but, um, I think there's, 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 circumstances where you could arguably get around that yeah and I, th I think or that's or challenge it yeah I think I think I think that's true you know we, we would certainly not take reports from certain companies because quite, quite frankly I won't say where sure. from or I would or, you <laughs> with, you know because the reputation wasn't there it was it wasn't just necessarily a case of actually the the, the technical understanding the technical, technical interpretation was poor is the fact that you you almost felt that they could be bought, you know, or heavily influenced. Let's use that phrase, heavily influenced. Um, you know, so I think I think that that's something people need to look out for. And I, I was actually while you were talking, I was going to think, well, you know, I wonder what Mark thinks of the different type of reporting by country. You know, are different countries um, better than others? So if I, you know, I was talking to an, an Aussie uh, company, we're talking about their their chalk compliant report. You know, and you've got your forty-three one hundred ones, and you know, and South South America. Yeah, you know, everyone's got their own different version of this reporting. And it, I, yeah, you know, what's your take on on the market in in that sense? You know, are there some jurisdictions that are better at reporting than others, or is it just down to the individual company that's doing it? You've got, I'm sure you know of, uh, I think it's pronounced Crisico the sort of the overarching umbrella organization uh, who are basically trying to unify the code. So a mineral resource estimate in one international code, say under the JORC code, would mean the same as SAMREC or mean the same as under the SIM code. Because it's, it's a common uh, mistake people talk about, oh, I've got a report written to the NI43-101 code. It's not, that isn't the code. The code is the SIM code, the Canadian Institute of uh, Mining and Petroleum. The NI43, NI stands for National Instrument 43101. So that's just the name of the instrument. So it's simply a format. It says you, you know, an introduction, an executive summary, and uh, you know what are the adjacent properties and mineral resource and and all reserves and all the rest of it. So they're trying to unify these codes. So that's the first. So the codes are becoming a lot closer together. Uh, firstly, if I was to see a feasibility study report, say from Iran. The mining engineers and geologists in Iran, the ones I've met, are very, very good. But due to the nature of the salaries paid there, you know, a mining engineer might only get paid $200 a month. So a company there would not be able to charge two, $300,000 or $2 million to write a feasibility study. They might charge as little as $20,000 for a feasibility study. Now, clearly, the quality of that report versus a, a quality report Wardell would do vastly different simply because of the, the depth of, and, and understanding that we would go in. So you would have to examine who wrote it and in what jurisdiction from that aspect. And again, I'm not trying to be critical of uh, Iranian mining engineers or geologists, it's just the environment they're in. People won't pay that money typically that they would pay, say a Western company would have to pay. Um, other countries, you know, you do have to, I think, it, as you said, it's more persons. I won't name the person's name, but. I've four times I've seen the name of a certain person. I won't say their discipline, and I won't accept any report that they've done now. Or I know going into it, there's going to be issues, unfortunately. And I think I touched on it when we last spoke. 
the Ontario Stock Exchange. Um, they they did a review of was it 50 reports and 30 or 40 percent of them had very very serious flaws with them. So people can be competent. People can be registered, you know, competent persons. They can be accredited with various um, um, professional or board bodies. People can still make mistakes. Um, so it, you do have to, as you said, if you're putting 10, 10 million pounds on the table, you know, are you are you playing blackjack? Or are you investing seriously in a mining operation? Yeah, it's so, it's, it's it's a big call. It's a big call, and it's and it's easy for me. Companies like us or banks or institutions to pay the money to get the the best report. You feel safe and you've got a relationship with them. Um, for the regular retail investor looking at these things, I mean, most people don't. Most retail investors don't even bother. But the ones who, who just make sure. put an extra yard in to make sure they totally understand what they're getting into, whether they believe what the company's telling them, um, it. I mean, it's, a, it's a horrific stat you just gave. You know, it's it means that they even despite doing all this homework, they still may get it wrong. It's a bit of a punt. That was seven years ago, 2013. That report was done, and I'm sure people get a big wake-up call. I mean, there there have been more recent reports with with famous consulting companies who have written reports, and people have built mines, and the mines have fallen over. And people have said, "Oh, well, I'm glad I'm not working for that X Y Z company." But when you go in and actually read the report, that consultant pointed out, do this, do that, do the other, and the client never did it. So, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink it all the time. Um, so, you know, you do have to cover yourselves and be quite conservative in this business, and you try to give your best advice and most practical advice, but sometimes people just won't listen, you know, unfortunately. There you go. Well, look, let, let's, let's focus on, um, let's get sure. back to due, due diligence generally yeah. here, okay? So, um, your reports are quite thorough. They, they get into the detail. They're very heavy, very rich with the sure. wording and analysis, which is great. But again, I, I want to make this accessible. So if um, I'm a retail or even a family office investor looking at a company and I want to get into some of the paperwork, you know, what are, what are the documents that you think are important and what in those documents? I mean, not it's different things can have different levels of importance. So let's let's focus on the most important ones. So what would you recommend people look for? What are the top, the headlines? And then maybe we can talk about some of the things in those topics. It's a bit of a saying, but it's still true. What's the three most important things? Mineral tenure, mineral tenure, mineral tenure. So you've got to make sure those legal rights are secured and how long they're lasting for, especially if you're in an exploration environment. One of the first jobs I went to was in a CAS country where the mine actually had mining reserves past the date when their mining rights expired. So therefore, we could only actually declare mining reserves up to that date, beyond which we said, you can't include that in your mine plan, you can't include it in financial, financial plans. So in that instance, the company went and got a legal letter that satisfied us to say they have confidence that they will be able to get it. Now, that was a call uh, upon the person. But so your mineral rights, of course, you've got to obviously look at the basis of of any mining project, which is your mineral reserves. So look at the database, look at the geology, uh, look at the interpretation, look at the block model, um, how much mining has been done. Uh, quite commonly now, which is just the reality of, of West Africa, is you will have artisanal miners who will come in and typically mine the 
top 10, 20, 30 meters of the various high grade. How will you as the competent person deplete that? You can't assume it's all there. Some some of it has to have gone, obviously. Um, so the mineral reserves, of, so mineral resources are very important. The oil reserves, the mine plan, uh, the geotechnical studies, the hydrological studies, the social environmental studies, and obviously uh, the, the other key, key thing is definitely the financial model. What parameters have been used and what assumptions have been used? Uh, you can very easily check have they applied the, the correct taxes and royalty rates. Those are, you know, typically, you know, important, but less. less important. What gold price have they used or what commodity price have they used? Have they used depreciation? How much capex have they got? Is the capex that they've got reasonable to the project? You know, if someone's got two million capex, then they're probably a bit under, you know, they're probably a bit light. Uh, but there's a whole thing, um, the, the whole series of documents and uh, uh, checklist you can do, and I'll, I'll speak to the I'll speak to the boss, and maybe if, if you're interested, I could send send some stuff through. But uh, I'm just checking that I've sort of covered most things. Uh, obviously, the other key one that I may have not mentioned is metallurgy. What's the recovery? And in all of these things, whether it's geology, whether it's uh, mining, mining engineering, hydro hydro geology, um, geotechnicals. Is all of the tests that have been done and the conclusions made, was it done on representative material? So did did someone do um, metallurgical test work and come up with a 90% recovery, but it was done on stuff that's 18 grams a ton gold, whereas your actual average run of milk mine is gonna be two grams? Well, that's not acceptable. So some basic simple tests to do on those sorts of things. Um, so you almost need to be, um, you know, uh, what, what's that phrase about master of none? You've got to know a lot about Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes, that's it. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So, jack of all trades, master of none. You've got to understand those things. Waste disposal, water access, and water rights, especially. Uh, we mentioned previously, we spent a lot of time talking about security, infrastructure, power, uh, the environmental and social, uh, what your operating costs, what your capex, uh, which we've mentioned, uh, and then um, management. Um, you know, nothing can make a my a, a good project fall over quicker than bad management. Um, so, do your do the management have a good track record? Are they someone who's worked in a mine mining and mining environment for 15, 20 years or so, or have they been out of university two years ago? You know, so it, a lot of it is is common sense, but uh, you've you know knowing the right questions to ask is key as well. Well, I think that's the important thing. So thank you very much for the offer of, of, of sending through some of that sure. information. We'll share that with with people and uh, make sure, sure you're, you're fully credited for that. Um, sure. But if I, if I was to ask you, say, right, what are the five things? Because I think you're saying it's very simple and it's common sense. It is if you've got the training. Sure. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the knowledge and experience. But for the regular investor we that we, we talk to, we... You know they don't know the questions to ask and if, if they did know the questions to ask and you were talking about the geology or the mineralogy um, or the recovery rates I could say 95% probably wouldn't know where to begin is the truth so what are, you, what are your top five things that you'd say let's keep it simple okay so in terms of geology um, when they created the block model um, have they got the wireframes right? So have they included too much waste within their wireframes? And the wireframe is basically the economic envelope or the mineralized envelope. So, and that em envelope for gold might be a 0.3 or 0.5 gram per ton, or if it's underground, 
mine, so that's an open pit. So if it's an underground mine, it might be four or three and a half grams a ton. So there's a world of difference between an open pit mine and an underground mine. Um, one of my big bugbears is uh, obviously you've got to get your, your, your QAQC, quality assurance, quality control. Has that been done correctly with blanks, with standards, with duplicates? Um, has the lab reported those adequately and you can typically see charts and if things are in a nice straight line or within the bounds how have they had lots of failures you know if you when you submitted a certified reference material you're expecting 2.2 grams a ton and they gave you six was that followed up and the other big thing is uh, top cutting that's another one of my uh, key things i like to look at if you've got an average of 2.2 grams a ton for an open pit gold project but you've got 60 sorry you've got 60 samples that are running 12 grams a ton. Have they been accounted for properly? Have they been top cut? Has the study been done to say, should they be top cut? I'd probably say typically they would be. So that's sort of geology. From the mining side of things, um, again, has there been adequate geotechnical hydro hydrogeological studies been done? Has there been any studies been done? It's no good just assuming a 33 uh, degree slope when there's been no geotechnical studies done. Uh, especially if you're going to open up a mine. Um, has the equipment, been, and I'm not a mining engineer, but um, has uh, the equipment been um, sized correctly for the operation and for the plant? Um, things like that. Uh, has there been enough studies done on what's the amount of uh, explosive to be used for blasting? So that's maybe a few of the mining questions. Um, and uh, in terms of the mine design, that shell, has that been done on the most on, on the extracting the most ounces of gold or the most profitable gold. So again, some of those questions. In terms of metallurgy, um, I think uh, we've touched on it earlier. The key, key, key question is you might have one main ore type, you're probably gonna have two or three. So you might have oxide transitional ore and you might have high grade, medium, low grade. You might have a limestone hosted rock versus a schist rock. So all of those need to be tested. Have you had adequate metallurgical test work, recoveries, uh, variability test work done on all of those. So that's that's those. And again, I mentioned on the financial model, have you got common sense economic parameters used? What's the gold price? What's the recovery? What's the uh, OPEX, the operating costs? What's the CAPEX? All of those things. And at the end of it, at the bottom, everyone looks, what's the MPV? If you've got an MPV of 6 billion, then maybe someone's been a bit optimistic. Um, so you, you've got to make sure it, it, it seems to pass the smell test. Um, and I mentioned earlier, uh, Ward Armstrong, we, we don't do legal due diligences, but we do check the paperwork to say, you know, are the mining rights going to expire next week? Or are they still in force? Have people been submitting the statutory reports? Have there been any indications or reports of unrest in the area or, or discord with the, with the community? That's not uncommon. Uh, people quite often will say, oh, the government's taking all the money and they're not investing here. And we need schools and hospitals and roads and all those things and more jobs, of course. But um, those maybe I've given you more five, but maybe I've tried to give Just you two or three per, per sec. <laughs> Sorry, I've tried I'm I'm loving to give it. you two or three per section. No, per you section, did. You, you know. did. I'm loving um, it. I'm loving and, it. And, and, and again, environmental. Have... Um, have has everybody been tried to be tortured? Has everybody been has the information been spread? Because there's nothing worse than no information, and then bad actors spreading bad information for their own political, economic, or social uh, agenda. Um, so all of those things. And then again, water. Water is a key one in today's society. Have you got enough water? 
is there enough water after you've taken yours or before you've taken yours for the local community to do farming and all the rest of it so all of those things yeah i think there's i think the esg components is becoming huge very much uh, a lot more than it used to be yeah, yeah and it, it used to be a tick box exercise i was saying this to someone i think you know quite honest back in my banking days you'd kind of you'd look at the page which talked about csr and go okay good don't even read it good yeah you know the pr is taken care of uh and move yeah. on where's the money right that's yes. the truth but i think now especially now in with covid yeah. um you've seen the importance of having good relationships local, yeah. local levels not just in terms of employing uh, locals but in terms of engaging with the local community um yeah. giving giving something back to the local community we've spoken to quite a few companies who have been superb at this and they're they're not experiencing the same sorts of problems with delays that you know companies who don't so there's an economic benefit but it's also quite yeah. good to do good well i mean even from a financial viewpoint if you've got good esg you're probably going to get cheaper financing than if you don't or maybe even no financing if uh, if you don't never mind how is your stock market price going to be uh, affected um, especially if you've got a a bad relate or no proper ESG and then a bad incident happens, it's all going to impact, you know, it's going to have a compounding effect, isn't it? Mm, oh, for, for sure. Um, have you ever had to walk from a project and why? Walk away from a project? Um, I have in the sense that I have said, we basically went out, I won't say who it was or where it was or what it was, but uh, went out to a project, visited it and remember I mentioned earlier there's a person who who four times have had bad experiences just happened that this was the second or third time I'd come across this person and I went out there and basically I said this project's got fatal flaws the resource consists half of it isn't there and the other half the SG has been wildly exaggerated so you went from let's let's call it 40 million tons down to 3 million tons and surprise surprise the client who paid us the advance didn't want to pay the rest of the money going forward so we ended up submitting a draft report and we, we just stopped all tools so yeah unfortunately you can get to you know it's a bad project and the client didn't know before we went out we didn't know before we went out but when you get the mark one eyeball on the ground you say hold on you look at the paper oh they're saying x million tons is for that and there's nothing there as an example so, so that was a particular instance that i was involved in um so yeah everybody lost on that one per se that's that's a fr frightening thought, but at least got it kind of caught. It happened early. It happened early. So yeah. so we, I mean, you know, I'm not complaining. We, 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 well, it's one of the reasons why Ward Armstrong and any sensible uh, consultant always takes a chunk of money up front. So you've got to cover your costs and a bit of extra money for your time, so that if walk away, no one, you know, you've been paid for that time. So you, you haven't at least lost. You know, nothing worse than spending ten grand on flights and people and a team of four people's time for three days. And then you haven't got no money for it, you know. So uh. it's the I tell you one of the interesting conversations that keeps happening at the moment with us is as we're sort of digging deeper into this natural resource space because it's not the only thing we invest in, but it's, it's we're spending more time in it. And is market commentators who who've been around the block said you know that about seventy percent of most companies will never become a mine, right? It's they're just not designed to be economic. Oh. Uh, sure. and, you know, and that's obviously going to be a factor of what the commodity price is. But um, I think their inference is that the metallurgy or the ability to actually get it out of the get it, get it out of the ground full mm -hmm. stop 
um, in any kind of economic context is, is impossible. So therefore, 70% of investing, uh, sorry, public companies on exchanges should not be investable on that basis, right? right. The, the skill is working out which ones. But right. you, you must come into you know, companies and look at the data, because you've got all the data, you've got all the skill set, you're, you're in a very, very technical, competent group. And do you, have you ever sort of suddenly looked at this and gone, we're having to work way too hard to make this thing work? Yeah, I mean, you do get uh, companies who've made a lot of money in oil and gas, even it's even related to mining, or, or the more common one is people have made lots of money in real estate, and they should decide, ah, we're going to buy a gold mine. And they've got no business being in mining. I mean, there was a case, I won't say again where it is, there's a case in the Middle East, this company spent millions, I don't know how many millions, but they bought a gold mine, and after six months, all of a sudden, there's no reserves there. Well, they should have worked that out or had a person do the due diligence to tell them there's no reserves here, or it was all at inferred level and you have to do drilling to do it. So they came to us in a panic to ask us, could we do a big study and find them, you know, three years worth of gold reserves and we gave them a quote to do it and they I don't think they liked the price and they walked away you know so people paid very expensive school fees there simply by not to, and and you could also argue that the people who sold it to them did things maybe they shouldn't have done I know I don't know the histories and the ins and outs of that but yeah there's 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 people who who uh, don't have the technical skills to to run a mining business, was it uh, was it Ernest Oppenheimer said the difference between a hole in the ground and a mine is expertise. Um, very very true. It's 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 probably not going to change, you know. And you need uh, grizzly, you know, grey-haired farts running these businesses and been doing it for a long time to to make it happen. And even then, it's not always going to happen. Do you, uh, do you often see um, the same assets? I mean, you've been at it like me, been at it a while, yeah. right? Yeah. Talk about grizzly, grizzly old man. Um, been at it a while. You, do you see the same assets coming back in the market in different guises, whether it be different under different company names or rolled into something else, trying to hide hide the mistakes, as it were? We 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 quite often will get a project that's been looked at and drilled and looked at and drilled and looked at and drilled, and because we've written a report on it, then the second company comes in and says, "Oh, these people are up. We'll go back. There. They'll help us write it again or update it." So. We can see the same project over 20 years, three or four, five times, uh, but it hasn't made it for because it's, you know, it maybe it's very far remote, remote, uh, remote sites. So it needs a lot of capex for infrastructure, being the most charitable, shall we say. But or other times it's just yeah, not not good enough grade and the commodity price isn't high enough now, you know, uh, and other times um, metallurgy, it's got metallurgical issues, you know. So yeah. the, you do that does happen most definitely it does happen. Uh, we obviously, uh, if people ask us, uh, yeah, you, you do have to be careful. I mean, we're in the business to make money, but you know, if, if something's you know, if someone says, "Oh, I found a mine here. It's got ten quadrillion tons of whatever," we say, "You're talking nonsense." You know, you, typically before Wardell, Wardell is engaged, we will have a good few chats with someone. We'll get data. We'll look at it for free will come back and say, you know, we can do this for this, or quite, if, quite often we, we can ha have that conversation and say, we, we don't think it's, it's worthwhile, or go and sort this out first and then come back to us, you know. Um, but there are also early stage projects where we can say, I've got one now at the moment in 
in, in, in Africa where I'm saying to the people, go and do some work first and then I can help you better, you know, or you can have a more valuable project, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So you do have to, a lot of hand-holding in this business, a lot of educating. And I don't know everything, and uh, nobody does. But, you know, you, the best geologist is the one who's seen the most rocks. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure the best mining engineer, best financer is the one who's seen the most projects. So, Yeah, I, th I think that's true. I, I, it's just, I'm, I'm constantly amused. We get approached every day by miners who, private, who want our money to help them take it through to the next stage and um, we get approached by people who've you know we've like you've seen we've seen this thing three four five times it it was appalling the first time and didn't work it was as bad the second time and nothing's changed but the 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 the, the wonderful thing about mining is you also have those stories those those what if you have those what if moments because there are stories out there where people have owned an asset sold it onto someone who's then created a billion dollar company and you just and you go they must be screaming every night in bed <laughs> thinking about it um but you know so that, that kind of magic keeps the keeps the world spinning but on the whole 99 percent of the time if it didn't work the first time it ain't gonna work yeah, I had a conversation with someone a couple of days ago, and I said that the mining or exploration business is—it's got some parallels with the pharmaceutical business. You know, people will spend billions trying to invest the next cancer drug or the next, mm. you know, COVID-19 drug, uh, but uh, three out of a thousand will make it. You know, um, and it's quite, quite, quite the same in the mining, mining exploration uh, industry. You know, it's that level of, uh, of uh, rolling the dice. You know. Was literally rolling the dice, you know. We, we say nineteen, yeah, so, nineteen, sometimes, out, sometimes. nineteen out of twenty don't yeah. make it, won't make it. Um, yeah. Yeah. We say seventy percent of the exchanges, the public companies, they won't make it. So it, it it's it's actually very risky game. So you've got to minimise yeah. that by again doing your homework, understanding the questions yeah. asked, ticking the right boxes, and um, yeah. you know putting the time in. Quite frankly. Yeah. And I, and I, I know I've listened to a few of your talks, obviously with other people. You you were quite scathing of some Canadian uh, ventures and um, people, should we maybe, say? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to get the trying to get to the truth for retail investors who have been time and time again conned out of their money by yeah. whether it be lifestyle management teams or managers who have very little of their own money in the in the project. They're taking big salaries with mm. very little money. Um, or they know it's not going to work, but they're just waiting for the next gig to show up, yeah. right? Sure, and sure. Et cetera, and so on and so on and so on. It's, it's just like the whole game is sort of stacked. And I think we, we people like you, people like, people like me, we, you know, we are sort of duty-bound to sort of point out, as uh, Monty Python would say, the bleeding obvious. Um, yes, indeed. <laughs> so yes, make indeed. people think. I think it's. I think um, one interesting thing is uh, having been to Camborne School of Mines, and uh, obviously I've kept track, as as you do know, with social media and especially through LinkedIn, with people you were at university with many years ago. You do see a lot of your people you went to uni with rising up the ranks, as it were. So they put the time in at the coalface. So I think you can start to follow the, some of those people because you know if they're involved in the project, typically they won't 
get involved with a shyster project they will they'll, they'll want to follow the money and you know because it's a hard enough business that is being away from your family that to put it into a project that's that's got no chance of doing it so if you can follow good people then hopefully they'll be involved in good projects you know i think that's right mark well let's Let's wrap it up. That was a good sure. romp through the world of due diligence and doing your homework. I loved it. Um, and you've got to come on. Please come on again soon. Um, Me too. We'll have to come up with a, a few different topics. I'll, I'm sure I've got a few in my brain. Oh, we, just, we just tell some mining stories. That's always good. Oh, yeah. It's good for a yarn, right? We'll change the name to Names to Protect the Innocent. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.